0: Hi, welcome to She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields, the podcast for women leaders on a mission to change the world and build empires that have legacy, success, influence, and intergenerational wealth. We'll talk about how stigmas, stereotypes, grief, and other people's opinions can keep women's voices silenced and the impact these have on successful women and their emotions, their relationships, and their money. If you have felt silenced and need guidance, awakening, and amplifying your voice, visit KeishaShields.com to check out my best-selling Find Your Voice course. Please take a quick second to hit the subscribe button and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of She Will Not Be Silenced. I am your hostess, Keisha Shields, and today I have a conversation with Amelia Roberts. Amelia, say hello to everyone. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me, Keisha. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, Amelia, I always like to have the guest or my co-host for the day answer this question when we're first starting. Tell us, who is Amelia Roberts?
1: So I am a connector from birth. I love connecting people with the resources that they need to survive and thrive. I'm an empathetic person. Like, and I don't really mean that, like, I don't mean that in the woo-woo way, like, but seriously, like if somebody's like hurting or something happens to someone else, I can feel it like almost in in my body. So I'm naturally empathetic and yeah, friends. Daughter, sister, wife, (laughs) all the titles. What kind of friend are you, Amelia? Loyal. Loyal. And I think that's where my first desire to connect came from. I had a friend who was moving to Austin, Texas, and uh, she didn't know anyone there. And I met somebody recently recently who lived there and I connected them too, and they actually became great friends. And just that rush when I realized I did a match, you know, almost like maybe it's a matchmaker in me. Matchmaker, that's one of my <laughs> words too. Uh, when I made that match, I was like, oh my goodness, that was great. Um, that was fun. So I, I say I'm a loyal friend, resourceful. Yeah. So, and what do you
0: do for work, Amelia?
1: So um, these days, I don't know if it's okay to time mark this, but I feel like all of us in 2020, we have like a few hats that we're wearing um, by force, by desire, by passion or whatnot. Um, but my my day job is nothing to do with my passion project and, you know, side, I don't want to call it a side hustle, but um, the other thing I do to make a living. But my day job is in healthcare and um, alongside that, I have my own business where I am a collaboration facilitator. <laughs> I help people um, get matched with folks who have podcasts, who have virtual summits, who have webinars, and are looking for joint or looking for guest experts. And yeah, so those are some of the things that you know fill my day. How did you get started with that
0: project, with that line of
1: work? So I can't say that I, you know, some a lot of people have have these stories about you know their passion project or whatnot, and they like, oh, I woke up and I realized I needed to do blah, blah, blah. But that that was not me. It was student loans. It's very unsexy. But in 2016, I had another round of student loans that came along. And my husband was reading Dave Ramsey's, one of Dave Ramsey's books. And he was like, you know what? We can knock out these loans in under two years if we hit them with $1,000 a month. And entrepreneurship is in my blood but I guess it's been laying dormant. It was like sort of laying dormant. And then when that series of events happened, I was like, all right, let's see what I can do to bring an extra $1,000 a month. You know, nothing grand because, you know, there was stuff I didn't want to be without. And then long story short, so I started, you know, helping people with social media, doing social media management. And I had a client that had a win that looked like we were able to get her 400 leads, email addresses in under four weeks, by nurturing Facebook groups. Again, the one-to-many sort of marketing thing. And so after helping people with different aspects of their digital marketing, I was like, oh, well, 400 leads. That's great. Let's do more of that. One-to-many. So um, that's sort of where I shifted into helping people design a tweet and hoping that goes viral to um, helping my clients get in front of entire audiences um, of potential buyers.
0: And then so it just kind of took off from there. Like it was something that you found was working financially anyways.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so after we, I got that one, I actually probably didn't think, well, I didn't say I didn't think much of it. So we got that one. That was great. And you know how we usually do when something works, we just go on not really doing more with it. We don't, I don't know why. When we, when we get a win, we're just happy. We celebrate and then we go on to stuff that doesn't work. And so that's what I did. And then uh, something told me like, you know, what? I think there's lots of people who need to be matched. They need to find their match and they need to get matched with audiences. And so I was in a Facebook group, I think overthink with Rohan Gilks or Gilks. I, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name, but I pitched an idea. I said, I'm thinking of offering a service, helping people to collaborate with bloggers and podcast hosts and people, you know, who are, quote, influencers in their own right, pitching people for podcasts and guest blogs and virtual summits. And then he said, I'm willing to be your first client. I was like, wow, awesome. So we had a conversation and he was like, you know, yeah, I need some of this. I'm, you know, working on shifting. I want to get into new audiences beyond Facebook. And You know, he was like, you know, what price will make you wake up and, you know, and do it with excitement. And I named a price that was too low. So I found out later. It's all good. Um, I named a price that was too low, paid it the same day. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. So that was sort of validation. And then, um, yeah, sort of went on from there.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of our entrepreneurs who are listening to this will be able to relate to a couple of things you said. (laughs) You know, with like you get that win and then it's like, oh, now I got to do these other things instead. Also, like starting out with that initial like pricing, like when it's just too low and you don't know until you know, like and so much comes up for you because you're like, well, is anybody going to pay that price? only to realize that you're way too low to begin with, right? And it's a really, <laughs> that, you know, interesting thing, you know? Yes. Um, so I was just kind of smiling while you were saying those, because I'm like, hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. you know, which is kind of cool. So, Amelia, tell us about a time in your life, it can be one or if you have more than one, where you have ever felt either like you have been silenced, even if you didn't know that's what it was then, Or a time where you had to find the courage to speak up for yourself?
1: Yes, I really think it was when I'm still in healthcare, but in a different (laughs) job in healthcare. But I think I was like in that specific role where I was literally doing a lot of work that, you know, didn't necessarily um, allow me to speak up at all or use my voice. I didn't have to use my voice or just stuff I was just doing with my hands. It was very repetitive and feeling like, you know, I didn't necessarily have a voice. And even if I were to speak up and say, hey, there's a different way we should do things, they would look at you and like, you know, that's about your pay grade. Why are you saying anything? And mm-hmm. I think that's sort of like when it said, you know what, I have ideas about how to improve stuff. I want to start sharing this with folks. And I think that's when I actually decided to start using social media to connect with uh, people who are doing the work that I wanted to do and people who are part of interesting conversations in healthcare And, you know, I think that's when I started to reach out, I think, use, find my voice and use my voice um, online to start Mm -hmm. to connect with like-minded folks.
0: Yes. How did your mom's upbringing around, like, you talked about her having this thing about why do we have to be the loudest, like, in the room or in the, you know, whatever the thing is, right? And I, I call that out because I have... It's something that, that's something that I've battled in my life too. I mean, I'm pretty vocal, like my voice projects when I talk, but I used to always have this thing where I'm like, gosh, why do we always have to be so seen and loud and rowdy and like everywhere we go and that used to, it it caused a complex like for me. Right, you know, and so I was curious about how had did your mom's upbringing in that way. What type of impact did that actually have on you while you were growing up? Hmm. That's an excellent question. So
1: it had a huge impact growing up. I mean, it had a huge impact. I sought to fit in. I sought to be the status quo. I sought not to draw, you know, too much attention to myself. When I did draw attention to myself for good or bad things, it really doesn't matter. It felt uncomfortable. And that, you know, impacted, you know, choices that I made. Because, you know, when I graduated high school, I, I love technology. I always loved technology. I'm a, you know, I, I consider myself a digital native. I had my first email address in, you know, elementary school. And when it came to graduating high school, I had friends who were getting into online marketing. Um, this was early 2000s. However, she, you know, said that, you know what, if I were to go into nursing, she'd pay for that. Um, but if I went into this tech stuff, she can't help me with that. And, you know, and, and, and the online marketing world back then wasn't necessarily what it is now. So that sort of also made me sort of shy away from that slash people didn't give up nursing careers to go in digital marketing in 2001, 2002. Anyway, that wasn't necessarily a thing. So, yeah, I think it impacted early career choices, definitely. Yeah, I
0: think it definitely impacted early career choices. Did you realize that then, or has it been something that you've realized, like, post-reflection?
1: Post-reflection, because as things would have it, you know, what I do now, like, you know, with visibility coaching, in a way, you know, helping women become the type of woman who shows up for herself. I'm finding that I had to, of course, deal with my own stuff if I'm going to (laughs) help other people through theirs. So I think it was like more recently that, you know, I had to figure out, you know, why um, I have like a negative charge to getting visible and showing up for myself. It's like, you know, where is that coming from? And also, you know, me, even in my own role, it's easier for me to tell the people what they need to do with their own visibility <laughs> projects and plans than do it myself. Right. Mm-hmm. I love telling people what to do. That mm-hmm. might just be my bossiness, <laughs> but um, it could be, but in any case, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, definitely not in the moment, but yeah, to answer your question, I think it was, you know, more recently in terms of reflecting on stuff.
0: So can we like dig a little bit into this whole visibility thing? Are you open to that? Sure. So why are, do you feel that it's so much easier for you to direct others with how to do it and to do it successfully than it is for you to do it yourself?
1: So the example that I've heard before is, when well, they say the cobblers, kids don't have shoes and whatnot, that finding visibility opportunities for other people is just still more fun for me versus finding it for myself. I mean, more recently I have forced myself to model good behavior as I say it and, you know, pitch myself for podcasts and whatnot, but it's like, it's still more fun for me to do it for other people than it is to do it for myself. And I think that's okay because, I mean, I feel like there are service providers, there are funnel experts, there are copywriters who, you know, copywriters who love to make content for different websites or design websites and whatnot for other people, you can't find them online, <laughs> right? They, you know, they don't have their own. They just enjoy doing that for other people. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I still have a coach. I'm not done my work. I, I hope everyone who has a coach, that their coach has coaches I mean, coaches should have coaches. But um, I think it's just really easier for me to still see, it's the matchmaker in me, right? So it's like, I still love like search, the search. I still love the search for other people and finding matches for other people and seeing, you know, who they need to be talking to and, you know, what they should say to that person when they reach out. I, I, that's so fun for me. More so than like, okay, Amelia, who do you need to be talking to, right? <laughs> Let's look at your pitch list. Let's do that. So I don't know.
0: Okay, so let, me, so let me ask you this also. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you a quick little thing of the connection for me is while I'm asking these questions. So one of the biggest things that I work with clients, women on, is visibility, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing what you're saying. And I'm thinking back to how, in my own personal experience, almost every single person that I know who does visibility work, Right has like been in the like background, like focused on their clients, like every single one. And so I always chuckle because that was, that was me. That was my journey. It was like, and yes, it was more fun. True. However, that was also something that I was telling myself because it made it easier for me to just keep playing like, you know what I mean? Not on the level that I truly wanted to. So I was laughing when you were talking because I was thinking about how, um, I'm like, yeah, like, I get it. I remember people were like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I help other women become visible. Like a lot of them you actually know about. And then people were like looking at me like, we don't know anything about you. And I'm like, but for me, it was intentional. Like I started helping other women because I didn't want the tension on me right? I didn't want, my private life was private, my work was what it was, right? And for me, it was a very intentional and strategic decision. But if I'm being all the way real with myself, there was still a lot of fear of judgment, fear of misperception, like a lot of those things played in the background for me, right? That made it more comfortable to teach what I knew to other people rather than have to like focus on doing it for myself, you know? And so that's why I was like, Ooh, can we dig into the visibility piece a little bit? Because I'm curious, how do you feel Amelia, not any other identities, right? Just all of the above. How do you feel Amelia would be different if Amelia really own her own visibility in the way that you help like your clients do like what how do you think you would be different or how you would be navigating your life might be different so when you said that it made me think about something as like okay so how
1: am I teaching how would things be different I honestly feel as though so for me and this is what I yeah so for me I feel like showing up more would be inviting more people into my business to help and support me so that I could impact more people and show up more right something that I have done and also the reason why I probably pulled back some of everything that I was doing at one point so the student loan thing so we did pay off the student loans in under 2 years and I did that by showing up for in a in a major way I did that by um, taking action that led to being invited to speak on stages in Las Vegas to help IT marketers. You know, I put myself out there in such a way that I was able to get other folks on national stages and whatnot. And um, I, I'm an introvert at my core. Um, I get energy from being by myself. And I think when I got visible over like those, those two years to and was able to generate enough money to pay off student loans, I think after I did that, I sort of settled in a role, like, you know, do I feel the need to sustain this level of visibility and exposure and keep going and going and going with it and then, you know, maybe eventually getting on TV or, you know, good morning or or local radio stations or something. Did I feel the need to keep going down that road? No. Um, So slash, that's not what I've done. So that's not what I can teach. I can't teach. I can't coach someone on that. I mean just being honest, 100%. But what I found to be helpful, and what I still maintain is a level of professional visibility, which I invite people to own to help them meet their professional goals or their, you know, whatever goals that they might have in their business. There's a level of visibility that you can have that is sustainable. And that might not be, you know, that may not be getting in, you know, Entrepreneur or Forbes. That might be being on, you know, podcasts or virtual summits in your niche so that you're an niche expert um that might be the level of visibility that serves you that feels good and that's sustainable to you if somebody you know needs a level of visibility that's beyond that that is in you know the forbes and you know their local um, network morning show that's definitely not in my wheelhouse <laughs> um, there's amazing people who do that all day every day but um yeah no i think i think i think so going back to it for for so for me, um, showing up more fully would be me showing up more fully in my business by having, like I said, other people come in and take care of things that I, that will allow me to have to be more present, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it totally, it totally does. You know, I'm personally an advocate for that. I mean, my husband, he's always like, girl, he's like, we're not, he's like, you don't have any money because you're like, hire, you? Hire out everything. I sure do. Like I'm t- <laughs> you know, I dang, mean I dang. mean but sometimes yeah. and sometimes it's not that you can't do it, but sometimes it's it's nice. It's like when you go get your hair done versus doing it yourself. Yes, most many of us can do our own hair, but there's something nice about being able to just be relaxed, take your mind off of things, let someone else do the process, right? And the same, that same concept to me applies in in the work, right? It's like sometimes it's nice to let someone else handle those things for you, even if it's something that you do yourself for other people, right? You know? Yeah. Um, because sometimes we are we're too close. Yeah. Sometimes we're too close to who we are and what we do to really get the momentum. You know, it's too easy when you're like your own PR rep, right? It's too yeah. easy. Yeah. to prioritize everyone else's because you're like, oh, I can always do mine right And it is yeah. so easy for that to happen. Would you agree so with that?
1: absolutely and as you're saying that I was just thinking about you know, like you said, you know, getting a hairdresser, you know, going out, getting a hairdresser, going out and getting your hair done versus putting your head under the sink, right? Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just keeping it it transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's like like the choice is just putting your head up underneath the sink. And it's like, you know what? I've been putting my head up underneath the sink and I am now like, you know what? Maybe that will be the next person that I um, get support from, you know, to start, you know, pitching me. And yeah, that, and to be quite honest, that's probably, oh my goodness, that's, goodness. I know this wasn't the point of this conversation, but <laughs> I like that a lot. So in any case, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. I mean,
0: well, because there there is yeah. so much truth in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that we have to, you know, let go of like that stigma around it. You know, like this is what I do. Yes, this is what I do for my clients. I know how it works, right? And I want someone else to come in and do those things for me exactly. so that I can be at my optimal for the clients that I'm serving. You know, yes. it really does make it to me, to me in my life and my journey, it has made a significant difference. Because a we significant difference.
1: But the truth is, it's like when, when we, um, our clients get, you know, our time and our attention and our best, because you know, there is an energetic exchange, Right. There is an energetic exchange. And so Mm -hmm. we want to go all out. We want to make sure that everything is taken care of. They don't have to worry about thinking about this, that they feel well prepared for the interview. And there's a keep in touch plan for the leads that come in and all of that. However, but for ourselves, (laughs) for ourselves, Uh it's like we need to have somebody to take care of that, you know, as their priority, you know, like that's their priority, you know, versus Mm -hmm. me trying to fit in my own in
0: the midst of, Absolutely. And that's the thing. They can prioritize you. Whereas like when you are trying to manage your own self, it's Mm so easy to prioritize everyone else's because now you have these external obligations that you do have to meet, right? There's the excitement of it's somebody different, right? You know, because we get into this rut because we feel like we know ourselves and we know all that. We don't know ourselves, I mean, some of us know ourselves more than a lot of others because I'm like I'm very introspective like you. I get and I'm a, and I'm an introvert. A lot of people don't realize that. But like I get my energy from being in my own space. Like if I'm around and like I don't I don't have like you know, a lot of, I'm not shy. I'm not like, people tend to think introvert. I'm like, that's not the difference. Right. But it's like, I can go and I can speak on a stage in front of several thousand people and be fine. And then the next three days I'm completely wiped out. And it's like, I can't, I need just myself, just my space. I need to think, I need like, you know,
1: (laughs) yes. Yes. Same, same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like after, and I, that's like um, a recommendation that I give folks too is like, you know, if, if that is you and you have like a series of podcasts or booking, you know, you might want to plan like the next day, you know, not necessarily have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, if you're presenting, you know, doing, you know, some presenting in a group, again, that, that next morning, you might not want to have an eight o'clock appointment. Cer- so, certainly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's excellent advice. That's excellent advice. And that's something I've started doing just like for myself, is having an integration plan, like to reintegrate from whatever it was that I was doing, because I would notice that. And like, I would be no good for like anyone. And I didn't feel like I love myself. I love spending time with myself. Right. And it's like, but it was getting to a point where I wasn't spending time with myself because I was so exhausted. Right. It was just, oh, I just needed like, Downtime to just not have to think about something. You know what I mean, right? And it didn't, that doesn't feel good to me, you know? And so I do think that when it comes to especially visibility and learning to speak up, one of the mistakes that I see happening a lot is that people automatically equate that with doing, 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 right? Being visible does not mean that you have 35 balls in the air. That does not mean that, but it does require that you have some type of a plan, right? If you have a plan, it does not have to be overwhelming. You can have one day a week that you focus on visibility, but with a good plan that one day might give you three or four months worth of action, right? Because maybe you've scheduled out your podcast for the next couple of months. Maybe you've done this, like it does not have to require a significant amount of output. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that I, or misconceptions I see happening when people who are like me and their their conservation and preservation of their energy, it's really important to my clients. Like they don't want to be exhausted. They're not about that team, no sleep. Like they're not, they've been there, done that. And having energy to live their life is, is a is a high value item for them and people feel, and this was what something that I battled Amelia was I, cause I know how it was in my purse in my local life, people who knew me always needed me, always needed to call me, always needed for my advice, needed my this and needed my that. And I was like, well, what am I going to do if I'm like really, really, Visible and like all these people now, and I was so worried about this demand on my energy and on my time. And that was something that actually kept me from actually being a little bit more in the forefront like I am now because I'm like, I don't want these, I don't want people to have a dependency on me. I don't want the saviorism complex. Like, I'm like, I don't want people to need to DM or email or call like all the time. And that's something like, people don't often think about that, but that was one of the major blockers for me when it came to like stepping up and owning my visibility, even though it's what I was doing like for my work, you know? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and you know, and I see that happening a lot. So you told me before that you were homeschooled. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) So around age 14, so 14 or 13, but in any case, long story short, I went through a period of middle school where I missed a lot of days, um, health issues that came up. I can't remember all that was going on, but getting an extra set of books was not all that easy. And um, again, I was I was like seriously an, an introvert. I would take lunch in the middle school library so that I could regather myself and prepare myself for the rest of the day of peopling. So um, my mom had always noted or long noted that, you know, like, she just made comments, like, over the, the summer, like, towards, like, the end of the summer, she felt like she was finally getting her girl back, and then I went back to school, right? So, 14, 13, I don't know how many summers, and then um, it was a challenge to get, like, the books I needed, and long story short, just a lot of other stuff came together, and um, my mom pulled the trigger, and she was like, you know what, let's, let's do this homeschool thing.
0: And how was your experience homeschooling?
1: It was fabulous. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, it was oh my goodness. I I, I don't know. I, I love to think that I'd be a functioning member of society if I was, you know, stayed in the public school environment with my personality and empathic ways and needs for, you know, recovery and you know lunches in the library. I like to think that. I don't know. I, I don't know. But it was it was it was wonderful. Being able to control my environment was was great. Um, the first summer or I didn't have a summer. So my first year of homeschooling, um, it was a learning adjustment as far as like time management, which actually turned out to be a life skill that served me well. Just because with the homeschooling, the program that we were in, if you didn't do the work, the work didn't go where anywhere. The whole class didn't just move on to the next semester. <laughs> so like a day of not doing stuff and a day of not doing stuff, you now have two days of stuff that needs you and so my first year, um, I, I didn't have a summer because I had a lot of work to do because my mom did allow me to self-manage more than I guess most, any case, I don't know I'm thinking about it. i like, huh, but it's all good. But yeah. So then I, I learned a lot of lessons when it came to yeah managing my time, managing my environment. She got me involved in volunteering at a local hospital relatively early. I was like, I think 14, 15 Volunteering at the hospital, at a hospital. Um, so I was around. Um, socialization mattered for her. There was also a homeschooling group that we were attached to. Mind you, this was like almost, this was like probably over 20 years ago. So this is before homeschooling was sexy or anything like that. But amazingly enough, there was like a homeschooling group and we did, you know, field trips and such. But I have nothing but fond memories of my homeschool life.
0: Yeah. How did being homeschooled? impact your capacity to speak up for yourself more as an adult or even as a teen? In an interesting way,
1: I became used to seeking out the resources that we need. So my mom, she wasn't an educator. Uh, My grandma was, my grandma was, and she was very helpful, but um, she wasn't the one that was leading my whole, my homeschool, you know, situation. So um, seeking out resources that I needed was like not new to me, uh, and, and that served me well going into college. Or uh, I started with community college. Going to community college, a lot of the kids were used to being spoon fed information, but I had been used to going out and getting and finding resources and looking stuff up if stuff wasn't clear. I wasn't, I didn't have expectations of teachers to spoon feed me everything I needed to know. Um, so in that way, I learned how to, I guess, in a way, speak up for myself. And finding and accessing things
0: that I needed to get what I needed, yeah. And what has been one of the things that you have come to become really fond of and or love about who you are becoming, like as an adult? Like, what's something that you're really starting to just jive and vibe with about you? <laughs> That's an excellent question.
1: I really enjoy that because of just because of the series of events that I've been through, I love that I can see opportunities and connections that people just don't see easily on their own. And I'm starting to notice what is effortless for me that is harder for other people. Cause I think that thing was a challenge for me. Cause at first I, I did social media management because, you know, a lot of, there were, you know, lots of people who weren't quite sure about how to show up online. and I. I'm not. I I say this all the time. I'm no Gary Vaynerchuk or anything like that. But I chose to teach people who didn't know as much about social media as I did, and you know, I took classes and courses to learn how to use it for business and professionally. True, but um, finding the people who you know didn't know as much about social media that wasn't hard. But now, as I'm shifting into helping people with visibility and even helping people to identify business development opportunities and relationships and collaborations and JV partnerships that they should go after and, you know, how to connect with people and almost infiltrate networks and warm up, you know, people that seem almost unattainable or not unattainable, um, hard to reach. Figuring out that, I'm finding that I can see connections to people that other people I don't easily see. I don't know how else to say it. But I'm thinking, I'm starting to see how that's my special thing in finding collaborations.
0: Yeah. And why do you, why are you loving discovering that?
1: A couple of reasons. So my why that is also starting to come out is um, I, I believe obscurity is a disease. I have from the bedside in the hospital to a boardroom, nothing good comes from obscurity. I haven't seen it work out well for anyone in lots of different ways and roles and whatnot so i believe obscurity is a disease and i am here to eradicate that and i don't i feel as though no one should do this life or business thing alone again from the bedside in the hospital to a boardroom, towards to anything else um the feeling of loneliness and feeling of isolation and feeling of not having the resources you need to survive or thrive it doesn't work out well for anyone involved and no matter their circumstance
0: Y'all heard it. Y'all heard it. So Amelia, so as we get ready to wrap up this episode, I have one final question for you. What advice would you give to another woman who wants to become more visible in her life based on your journey? I have to sort of cheat and borrow this from my
1: sales coach, right? I said, we all have coaches. So my sales coach, uh, Shemeika Tankerson, uh, look her up. Tell her that Amelia sent you, but look her up. Uh, She has this whole concept and phraseology and teaching and blah, 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 about learning how to trust your own value. And because of life, because of the stories that women have been told, like how women have been encouraged to value themselves differently than men as shown in our wages. Men just are easier, not easier. They seem to have an easier time with negotiating their salary. And, you know, long story short, black women were told to value themselves differently than women from the majority. It's just one of those things. And so I invite listeners, especially if you're a woman of color, especially if you're a black woman to consider the process and the journey of learning how to trust the value that you have and um, that you bring to any situation that you're given. Consider the possibility that your value is insanely, is is insane, is that your value is insane and far exceeding what you think it might be.
0: I agree with that. And knowing and understanding your value is a game changer. You know, even with that, there are some things that need to happen for you to even recognize the value. But when you get to that point and you do, it is a game changer, you know? So thank you so much, Amelia. Uh, Where can our listeners find you online? So um, I would love to
1: connect with you over on LinkedIn. I am trying to show up more (laughs) over on LinkedIn. So if you can help me keep accountable over there, I'd greatly appreciate that. I also have a podcast called uh, Confident Collaborations. And when I say podcast, I actually mean a collection of voice notes. (laughs) It's not as officially produced as what you have here, Keisha, but um, I have a collection of voice notes called um, Confident Collaborations. And I'd love for you to check that out wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Okay. And when you all are listening to the podcast if you go to the episode webpage, so go to keisha com slash podcast slash amelia roberts and you'll be able to find all of her links her bio and all of that good stuff in case you can't write it down right now amelia thank you so much for being my guest today on she will not be Silenced."
1: thank you so much keisha for having this conversation with me and having this platform so for so many ladies and um thank you for all that you're doing
0: Thank you. And until next time, everyone, I will catch you in next week's episode. Ta-ta! To watch the video episode with today's co-host, visit KeishaShields.com slash podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified of our next episode because you won't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to this episode of She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields. If you are an executive or highly driven leader, ready to amplify your wealth, legacy, and your voice on your terms and overcome the impact of feeling silenced, visit keishashields.com slash hire to work with me one-to-one or to find more information on how to bring me into your company or organization to help support your women leaders.